defend them. You can get angry quickly when somebody says something about the one you love. I didn't say that. <laughs> I can imitate that, but I didn't say that. In, uh, and I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you this morning as we get started. I won't ask you to turn to them. But just listen to this. Jude verse 3 says this. Beloved, unless you prefer beloved. While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You know, the gospel that was delivered from the very beginning is the same one we're following now. We've not modified it. It's been split into hundreds of denominational strains. It's been written about from every angle possible through the commentaries and different perspectives. But it's yet, it's still just the one gospel that was delivered at the beginning, right, from the apostles who met and talked and lived and breathed and touched and ate with Jesus and they delivered that gospel to the saints at the very beginning. Saints meaning those who were called apart, those who were set apart from the world to be sanctified, made holy by the righteousness of Christ. They delivered that gospel to them. And from that point on, we've been fighting for it. Interestingly, a lot of us in Christianity are fighting one another about it. To try and say, we've got the right one. No, we've got the right one. No, ours is correct. No, ours is correct. Right? There's this battle going on and I, I feel this in my spirit this morning that, that I feel like this writing in Jude I, I want to exhort us this morning that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once delivered to the saints once and for all not all of the faiths that have been extrapolated or faceted out or broken apart or for whatever reason I think I'm distant enough from this experience to share it with you without being in trouble. And what I mean was I was in a pastor's conference for a prayer. It was a great Southern California-wide prayer gathering of pastors. That's all it was. They just said, pastors, come. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's fast. Let's fellowship for three days. Let's just separate ourselves from everything and everybody else and get together. We got together with pastors we didn't know from all over Southern California, and we were just there to pray for three days. I had the great experience in that prayer meeting, by the way, to sit in this big circle, this big room. Had two circles of chairs, and our goal was just to sit in those chairs and worship together until the Holy Spirit moved, and we began to pray together. And when I sat down, two chairs to my right was John Wimber, and one chair ahead of me was Chuck Smith. And I thought, I'm sitting in history. You know, they split off from each other. They were not necessarily best friends. Doctrinally, things challenged them and they parted company. And here I sat in a prayer meeting where they were within, and they leaned over the chairs and talked and bantered and chatted like old, old friends. And I thought, I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> you know, I'm going to watch because I'm learning something here. There's two guys that wanted to contend for the faith, but yet they disagreed. In that prayer meeting, we were dispatched 
on one of the days to go out and just gather in groups of four or five anywhere on this campus we were at and sit at tables and be comfortable and talk and get to know each other and pray together. So <clears throat> I ended up at a table with two, two other guys from Church of Christ. Now, Church of Christ, and I'm not against Church of Christ, but if you know their history a little bit, uh, there's a branch of Church of Christ that doesn't use musical instruments in their worship. They say that there are no musical instruments in the New Testament, so their doctrine is we don't use musical instruments in the church. The other, there's another branch that does. <clears throat> and these two guys kind of knew each other, but they were from the two different branches. And as we began to pray together and talk, they were kind of slapping each other on the back and yakking and having a good time. They really liked each other. And then they looked across the table and said, you know, we said, what is it with you guys? We asked about the musical instrument thing. And uh, the guy that believed in music jabs the other guy that doesn't or believes in the instruments and says, yeah, these guys, they don't use instruments. However, when they have a wedding in their church, they load a piano in the back of a pickup truck and they back it up next to the church and they open the window <laughs> so they can play the wedding march. You know, and just bantering at each other, you know, picking and poking and yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys say you don't believe in that. You know, and the other guy had some remark back and they looked like a ping pong game there for a while, you know, back and forth. And then finally they stopped and they looked at us who were sitting with them and said, do you know that this music in the church thing is not a divide doctrinally from the Bible? It arose during the Civil War. It was a, it was a split between the North and the South and the issue of slavery. And the church in the South didn't want to give up on the slavery issue. The church in the North did. And so there was a divide in the church based on slavery. But they knew they couldn't get away with using that as an issue. So they turned it into a doctrinal war. And they picked musical instruments. Now, how does that make you feel this morning? Sad? See, now there are generations of Church of Christ people that don't know what you know this morning. They've never been told that they are opposed to that other branch of their own faith because of a war in the 1860s. And it has nothing to do with the Bible, really. I mean, they've fought it out after that and built their entrenched against Scripture, against Scripture, and warred against each other, only to be divided. When Jesus prays in John 17, Lord, make them one even as we are one. We're to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, not the one that's been built over the years in other models. Let me read to you my heart this morning from Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know, this is Paul writing, of course, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have, what a great struggle I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, 
rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. If you wanted to make a note or circle or underline something or I would have you look at the word tradition in verse 8. Interesting word, word tradition. We're coming into a season where uh, four things are presently on my my mind. One is this, that we have a general election coming up soon. may come back to that. Coming into uh, Halloween. And then we're going to Thanksgiving. And then we finally wrap up the year with Christmas, right? And there are, these are three traditions, uh, leaving the elections out. These are three traditions that we have in our culture and around the world to a degree. Uh, but the first one, the, the Halloween, is a, is a tradition that's following a demonic spirit, right? Oh, we could sit around and yak about it and go for All Hallows' Eve and All Saints' Day and all that, but that's not where it's landed anymore. It's Dia del Muerte. It's the Day of the Dead. It's the honoring of the past. It's in that sense, but it's this. It's it's entrenched with demonic. I remember Ted Rose, and he was here recently, so you're familiar with Ted, man of prayer. He said, after I found out what was happening on Halloween, I told God I would never sleep another Halloween ever. But I would stay and fight and contend for the souls of people all around the world, even all the, all the way down to young people whose lives were being taken from them in sacrifice to the devil. And you say, oh, that doesn't happen. Yes, it does. Yes. So there's a tradition that our culture celebrates, and it's tied directly to the devil. In fact, I think if we're participating in Halloween the way the world says to, we're, we're basically worshiping that thing. We're putting it. I'm asking you this morning to contend for the faith, not follow the world. The second one, Thanksgiving, is cultural, isn't it? It, it sprang out of, you know, kind of hallelujah, we're still alive and we're eating and we're made friends with the Native Americans here and we're together on this soil because God brought us here to a country where we could worship freely. Let's have Thanksgiving. Let's give thanks. So I like that one, don't you? Uh, but yet it's kind of a cultural mix, isn't it? People all over have Thanksgiving, but they're not really giving thanks to God. They're just getting together with their family. So we have a kind of a mixed one there. Not demonic, really, is it? It's, uh, and it but it leans toward God, so it makes us all feel good whether we're believers or not. In the middle, it it honors family getting together. And that's good. You know, as long as you're not that family that has that big long prayer by the little girl. It's something you've seen on YouTube. Have you seen that one? It's hilarious. She just prays. It's a girl, right? Little girl. She prays like for an hour. 
Could you pray for grace? I mean, you know, the, the problem with that is the absent father leaders who's supposed to be praying dishes the prayer off to this young girl. And she prays so long that there's a food fight going. And, you know, grandpa sneezes and blows his dentures into the mashed potatoes. And, yes, it's a hilarious video. Um, I think you played it here last year, didn't we? Yeah. It's very inspiring. <laughs> But uh, so there's a cultural, religious kind of faith-based tradition. And we get to Christmas, and I'm just going to say that is a totally faith-based celebration, the birth of Christ. Oh, and we can fight over the trees and the decorations and the time of year, and we can find things to just get out of our minds about. And I've done it all over my career. You know, put a tree in the sanctuary and have people rebel. Oh, my God, get that icon of idol worship out of here. And, you know, it's just tough, isn't it? Why? Because there's a mix. We're contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. We want to honor the birthday of Jesus, which nobody knows when it was, but it was set by Constantine. And so we've been having that as a tradition every year. But I like to grab a hold of it and make it full of worth, full of value. I tend to get grumpy, though. Most of you know I'm the... I'm the Bah humbug, Pastor Jeff, because I see the materialistic flow that happens. You know, I see families going into debt that they're going to get the bills in February, and that's not going to be a happy month because they wanted to, you know, their kids should have everything. Listen, give them Jesus. Give them the reality. Contend for the faith once delivered, once and all delivered for the saints. And so when we see this word in verse 8, tradition it's important. It's used about 13 or 14 times in the New Testament. But all the words come from the same base noun and verb structure. Not that we're here for our Greek lesson because I'm not that good at Greek. But it's referred to in the scriptures as the traditions of men, traditions of the fathers, traditions of the elders. And uh, as an example, I would show you Mark chapter 7. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. And now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat, don't eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things as you do. You said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Wow. So that's, there's a mouthful of tradition words in this chapter. You'd also find that in Matthew chapter 15 where... Most of these 13 or 14 references of the word tradition in the New Testament are found in these two chapters. But you see the, the struggle? 
And here's, here it was in the Jewish faith, and I'm not Jewish, and I'm not that great of a history guy on these things, but I do know that there are the traditions of the fathers, traditions of the elders. There are developments that the Jews hold, and there's a special name for those, uh, where they actually hold their traditions in the same height and regard as the written word, the Bible. And they say you have to keep all of these things. You have to keep all the law, and you have to keep all the traditions. And, I mean, they build a system that nobody can keep. It's just not possible. I mean, the, the written word you can't keep in the law. Anybody done it? Anybody made it past the top ten? <laughs> really? Well, I haven't stole, killed, eaten, you know. There was a guy in the Bible that said that, right? Jesus said, uh, how do you see it? He said, well, well, do this and this, 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 and this. He named about six, by the way, of the top ten. And then Jesus said, well, you're just, you're just lacking one thing then. Really? What's that? Well, sell everything you've got and come follow me. Huh? <laughs> was the answer. I think that was probably in Greek. Huh? <laughs> what? And it says he went away sad, right, because he owned a lot of stuff. But here's the point of that for me is that he said, I've kept all these six things from my youth. Jesus says, yeah, but you're missing the first four, which is about don't have any other idols. It's all the first four about worship of God. The last six are about your dealings with people. So I can do the people part well. He says, yeah, but you're missing the heart of the Ten Commandments, and that's having no other gods before him. He went away sad, willing to keep his own laws, willing to keep his own benchmarks in the culture and hold on to his traditions, but reject the commandments of God. Am I making any sense so far? I hope so. Paul said about himself, let me just pull this one little verse in Galatians when he opens the book or the letter to the Galatians. Recorded. <laughs> He's talking about himself. Verse 11, he says, I make known to you, brothers, that, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Verse 14, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul saying, I adopted not just the belief system of the Bible or the Old Testament, which they were using, but I also was more zealous about all the traditions of the fathers, about these washing of pots and coming in and going out. Remember one, a pastor shared with me, a friend of his uh, who was a Jewish fella on the Sabbath would go into the kitchen just before the Sabbath started and make a stack of sandwiches. And then he would get a stack of books. And then he would put the stack of sandwiches on one side of his chair and the stack of books on the other and have his little bottle of water there. And on the Sabbath, he would sit in the chair and read the books and eat the sandwiches because he was keeping the traditions of not doing any work on the Sabbath. This was his idea of how to please God, by not moving, by not working, by not lifting a finger. I, this looks like a fun day to me. 
But, but the motive of the heart was the issue. I'm doing this because I'm keeping the traditions. Paul said, hey, listen, I excelled in the traditions. When he gives his litany of, of his credentials in another place, he says, I was, uh, a, according to respecting the law, a Pharisee. I kept it perfectly. But in that same litany, he said, all these things I count as loss for the excellency of knowing Christ. I, I achieved all these things. I kept the traditions. I kept the laws. Then when I met Jesus, I realized these things are worthless compared to knowing him personally. Do you want to know Jesus? Don't we want to know him? We sang that song this morning. I appreciate it at the end. Jesus, be the center. Be the center. I, I need to get me out of the center. I need to get my culture out of the center. I need to have the traditions of men, the elders, and the fathers out of the center. I need Jesus at the center. You know, there's a story we share, and many of you know it, and I apologize if it's redundant to you, but you like it anyway, so you'll enjoy hearing it one more time. When we get into the traditions conversation, there's that, you know, they're getting ready at, uh, at Thanksgiving, or you get the turkey and some get a ham going too, you know, and uh, mom cuts the end off the ham, right, sets it up on top of the ham. Remember this one? And then puts it in the oven and the daughter says, Mom, why do we always cut the end off the ham and do that? She says, I don't know. You're, you're, my mom did it, and so I do it. But she's in the living room. Why don't you go ask her? So the younger mom goes out and says, Grandma, how come we cut the end off the ham and put it on top of the rest of the ham when we cook it? She says, well, I don't know why you do it, but I did it because I only had an apartment stove. <laughs> and my pan was only so big. So I always had to cut the end off and put it on top. They got three generations of cooks cutting the end off the ham, putting it on top, and they don't even know why. Are you getting the point? We have some traditions that we follow. They're not all good, not all bad, but I want to encourage us this morning. Let's contend for the faith, not the cultural, not the demonic, not just because somebody else said so. And uh, maybe I should finish this message someday. <laughs> Acts 17. And then we're going to go to 2 Thessalonians 2. Acts chapter 17 is the setting uh, of the background of the writing of First and Second Thessalonians. By the way, I learned an interesting thing this week. I like sharing the stuff I learn. hope it's helpful to you. Some of it's trivia, but they say that First and Second Thessalonians were probably the first written books of the New Testament. Would you thunk it? No. no. The Gospels, of course, occurred earlier, but they weren't transcribed into writing until after. These were First and Second Thessalonians were written about 49 and 50 A.D., according to the scholars, of which they've not included me. <laughs> Um, Acts 17, now when they had passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. What Scriptures are those? The Old Testament, of course, right? 
explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, which would also mean Gentiles. But not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. That's why they went to his house looking for him. Jason has harbored them or welcomed them into his home. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Who are they after? Paul and Silas. Why? For preaching the gospel that was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 10, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. (laughs) This was their custom. These, the Bereans, were more fair-minded, I like the word noble, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, They came there also and stirred up the crowds. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. That's kind of a funny phrase because basically what it means is that Paul told them, go get Timothy and Silas, and they took off and went back. That's my paraphrase edition. So here, you, this is the background. Uh, Paul comes to Thessalonica, preaches the gospel, trouble stirred up, he's got to scoot out to Berea, finds a group of people in Berea who the Bible says more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. They were receiving what Paul was saying with an open mind, but then they were taking what he was saying and comparing it to what they already knew in the Scriptures. As they'd made the comparison, then they were able to say for themselves, this is truth. It's in the Word. It's in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the Scriptures. So Paul's not just bringing some weird strain of new teaching. He's bringing truth that has its foundations in the Word. And they were said, let's believe that. Let's accept that. Jesus is the Messiah. Let's hear some more on this. Let's build our faith. Well, Paul, of course, gets scooted out of town. And uh, some... Questions arise later on that um, there were those who in Thessalonia later on, the storyline is that they wondered whether their friends who had died, their family members who had died, were going to be in the resurrection or not. And so Paul writes First Thessalonians, which is, if you've ever been to a, a great memorial service or a funeral, you've probably heard this passage read 
right out of this letter where he wrote to them and said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep or are dead, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. You've heard this, right? And he goes on to talk about the second coming of Jesus. And this is in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 17 or so. And he explains about this. Uh, the dead in Christ will rise first, and the, then we who are alive and remain on the planet when Jesus comes will be caught up with him to meet him in the air where we get the word rapture. And, and so will we ever be with the Lord. So encourage each other with these words. And Paul diffuses this, this question in their minds. Well, if the, what about those who are dead and what's going to happen? How, do the, how does the end time pan out? Paul spent some time there teaching in Thessalonica, but he got run out of town pretty quickly, wouldn't you think? According to Acts 17. So he writes back to them to encourage them, strengthen their faith, and, and tell them, hang on to the truths that I gave you. Now, interestingly enough, when we get to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we find that Paul's talking about his own verbal transmissions to the Thessalonians as being a tradition. It's the same word. Um, I, I took the trouble to define the word tradition. A giving over which is done by word of mouth or in writing. A tradition by instruction, narrative. Or precept. With the ham, it was done by example. Objectively, it means that which is delivered, the substance of a teaching. It relates to the body of precepts, and I've underlined this in my definition, especially ritual, which in the opinion of the later Jews were orally delivered by Moses and orally transmitted in unbroken succession to subsequent generations, which precepts, both illustrating and expanding the written law as they did, were to be obeyed with equal reverence. A tradition, something that's handed from one to the next, to the next, to the next. That's what it is. The verb... um, just means that I'm, I'm the one doing the action. I'm the one that's giving it over into somebody else's hands. We're to pass on tradition. We're to pass on the instruction. That's how the gospel got all the way to us, right? Somebody told somebody. I like that de- definition of evangelism that says it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. There's nothing tough about telling somebody about Jesus because when you were lost and now you're found, when you had no hope, but now you have hope. And somebody says, why do you have hope? And Peter says, be ready to give an answer to every man of the reason the hope that lies within you. We have the hope. We have the truth. And so we have received the gospel through tradition, through oral transmission, and now, of course, through written transmission. It means to give over into one's power or into someone else's ability to use it. To deliver to one something to keep, use, take care of, and manage. Second Thessalonians, it is said that there may have been a letter that was brought to the Thessalonians, alluded to Paul, but not written by Paul. Or that there was some movement of the spirit that had taken place, and so verbally under what was supposed the unction of the Holy Spirit, certain things were said to the church in Thessalonia. And it rattled them. And it brought them this uncertainty. 
And so Paul in writing 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, Now, brothers, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit, that may have been that spirit transmission that they got, or by word, whether somebody told you something different than what I told you, or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ have already come. This is what they were going to say. Somebody said, it's already come. What about us and what about the dead? Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? In other words, I had already given you the tradition. I would already given you the gospel. I included this part when I told you. Remember, I told you the truth. Don't be soon shaken. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. Let me just get past some of this here. Let's go to verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our letter. Now may the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Let me continue. Just the word's not going to hurt us, right? Chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. But we command you, brothers... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he, which he received from us. Paul is putting a, a, a pretty heavy weight on his teaching. But this is where the gospel came to us, by the teaching of the apostles wasn't just random. wasn't just what I believe over what you believe, right? But see, the church has kind of fallen out to that by now. I'm going to share with you a, a grieving in my spirit last night. I was driving home from the prayer meeting here, and I punched on the radio and again just put, hit the search button, and it hit a station. And this guy was teaching, you know, just going on. and I was being critical, preacher to preacher, you know. I thought, is this guy ever going to say anything? Like 10 minutes to say nothing. I was getting irritated. I thought, oh, I'm going to put up with this guy for a while and see what he has to say. Well, it's just like you do every Sunday. (laughs) 
And I drove for a while, and he really wasn't saying a lot. And I wanted to know who he was and thought I'd wait till the end of the program, whatever, get his name. That wasn't happening, so I I went somewhere, got out, walked around, did some praying, got back in my car, and he was still going. A little while later, and, and I never did find out who it was, but driving from where I had parked to home, he went into this extended harangue comparing speaking in tongues with Ouija boards. And I was just climbing in the radio. I thought, I'll tell you about serious radio right now. You know, or... he, was, he was teaching against the infilling of the Holy Spirit and speaking with tongues. And I thought, boy, it's a little late. I've been speaking in tongues for about 40 years. And I, I thought, you know, he and I, if we sat down, we would argue and we would just go at it. And some of us might even do that. And I, I found myself getting more and more angry. And then I realized I'm not angry at him. I'm hearing this message in my spirit. Let's contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Let's quit beating each other up with it. And let's just believe it and walk in it and quit taking the exceptions of men. Let's be like the Bereans. If we hear something, let's take it back to the book and study it and see what the word of God says. Not what I say. There's a there's a, a, an address to all of us when we gather for these kinds of moments to say, is that guy up front? Is that gal up front? Is that worship leader telling me the truth or not? I have a personal responsibility to search the scriptures until I know. But does that make you the end all? Does that make you the decision point? Does that make you the authority? See, there's a danger there too, isn't there? Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2, he said, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a big statement. See, if you're going to receive teaching from someone, you ought to know them. See, I can get mad at the guy. I didn't even know his name. I didn't know his character. I didn't know his family. I didn't know his history. I didn't know why he was so upset about me speaking in tongues and why he wanted to equate my practice to demonic worship. But I had to park it, right, and say, stop duking it out. We're not warned against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And they love to stir these doctrinal debates so that the church can't become one. Like what Augustine said, he said, in the essentials, let's have unity. In the non-essentials, let's have liberty. But in everything, let's have charity. And if you read this New Testament like I do, you'll come to the conclusion, I believe this, that the greatest message of the New Testament is the final commandment of Jesus, and that is to love one another. If we love one another, Jesus said, you'll fulfill the law. You'll actually keep all the law. Right? And I do this from time to time. I hope I never break this, but... Remember that passage where, where Jesus said, you know, they said, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other one is like the first, love your neighbors yourself. And on these two hangs all the law and the prophets. 
I love this illustration for myself. I think, boy, if I have to suspend the entire scripture on two things, Jesus did it for us. There it is. Love God. Love your neighbor. The Apostle John finished all his letters the same way. Love one another. Love one another. Quit fighting. Quit debating. Read what we told you. Look at the written and hear the oral transmission of tradition and then practice it. Follow it. If you can't figure it out, Paul's saying, imitate me like I imitate Christ. And this is something that we all need to hear. I need someone in my life who will imitate the walk with Jesus. I need a model. I need, we call them mentors or disciplers or trainers or coaches or something. We, we all have them. We have people we love to hear and we love to emulate. But I think the scriptures tell us we need somebody we know, right? You can listen to the radio all day and hear 50 preachers. Mm-hmm. You could say, well, I'm going to narrow it down to the top 10 most popular in America. I'm just going to listen to them. And you listen to people like uh, Billy Graham and T.D. Jakes maybe. Or There's only one woman on the list. Did you know that? Well, you all know her, sure. Especially you women, you all know her. She's hot. She's in your face. She beats you up. She is Joyce Meyer. Man, what a little package with such a delivery, huh? Golly, I can't even listen to her. Jeez, she beats my wife up all the time. My wife closes herself in a room so Joyce can beat her up, which I'm grateful for. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm loving what the result is, and I'm also glad I'm not in there. I can't handle Joyce. She's just too hard for me. Get it on a long drive, I might make it for an hour or two, but she's just hard on me. Phew. This is this exhortation to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter two, or excuse me, three. Which, by the way, is the last letter of Paul. Second Timothy chapter three. He's writing to his friend and pastor Timothy. By, but know this: that in the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous means harsh, savage, difficult, dangerous, painful, fierce, grievous, hard to deal with. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Exclamation point. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith disapproved concerning the faith. That is such a statement. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs, meaning Janus and Jambres, 
also was. But you, I have this underlined, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Listen now, verse 14, but you, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, underline, knowing from whom you have learned them. Do you know the people you're listening to? How many of us have seen or maybe even been involved putting our trust in some high-level, very visible preacher, teacher, leader, only to have them cave in and for us to be disappointed, right? For it to bring injury and rebuke to the body of Christ. I'm not saying we shouldn't have. I'm just saying, did you know them? Um, can I give you a pastoral complaint? Is there a complaint box? Yeah. Here, you ever seen the complaint box? There's a little suggestion box in the back. And there's a piece of paper that's got a little square like this. It says, write your complaint in the box. <laughs> Legibly. Make it legible, then turn it in. Those, everybody, evidently, the Lord has set it up this way. And I don't say it for my own sake. Everybody needs a pastor. And every pastor ought to be a pastor. And we have teachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets as well. Ephesians chapter 4. But evidently, we all need an under-shepherd. We need somebody we know, somebody that will model, somebody that, like Paul, will say, follow me as I follow Christ. I would never set myself up in that place. Evidently, God has. But I, I would not take that honor for myself. We don't take that honor to ourselves. God gives it and then says, live up to it, be an example. And we've had, I've had plenty over the years of, of people who have come, been part of the body, and then left. Or they're listening to the TV or the radio or whatever it is. They're following all kinds of teachers. And, you know, they send their tithe, in fact, off to Charles Stanley or somebody. And, and I, I love all those people. I'm not against those people. But here's my point. When something goes wrong at your house, when some family member is in an accident, hospitalized, or injured, or dies, and you need to arrange a funeral, do you call Charles Stanley? Do you call Joyce Meyer? Do you get Billy Graham to come over? You see my point. Those are maybe people that are distant, and their teaching is what you want to get. But you don't know them. Really, you don't know them. And you don't know them well enough to call upon them and have them respond to your need. And that thing rises up inside of me that wants to shake people and say, listen, that's not how it works. It won't be there for you when you need it. I mean, I don't mind that they're better than me. They teach better or I tried to teach like Charles Stanley once. I mean, the guy just turns me on. I mean, he's, I wish I could, you know, imitate him a little bit. Wiry and, now watch this. And, you know, and I go, I watch. You know, he says, watch this, I watch. 
But I can't call him to come to my house and pray with me. I can't go to his cell group where he'll fellowship with me. And if I have a real need and I'm in the hospital, I can't call him to come over. I need people around me. I need a shepherd and I need other sheep who are with me in life. And Paul saying, listen, keep the traditions I gave you. They're verbally given. Hang on to them. It is the gospel which was revealed to me from heaven and confirmed by the other apostles. And we're giving you truth because we met him. We know him. We touched him. We, John says we've handled the word of life. And we're sharing him with you. So these traditions are important, aren't they? But they better be the right ones. And when you're comparing what you're hearing to Scripture, you don't become the end all. You need somebody else to bounce it off of. Generally, you need somebody that knows a little more than you do, right? It's helpful. You know, you don't need a pool of shared ignorance. (laughs) Like, what do you think? Oh, I don't know, but what do you think? Well, that sounds good to me. Let's try it. Famous last words in the the South. Hey, y'all watch this. You know? Don't send this recording to Tennessee. Or Georgia. You can send it to North Carolina because they won't understand the dialect. I always think when Jade and I went to North Carolina and we were in this meeting in the sky, Charlie. I mean, it was just so stereotypical. This gal who I knew had met before and was friends with said, I want to introduce you to my husband. So I went over and I met Charlie, the truck driver from the South. You know, good buddy on the radio. And he started talking and I could not understand. I mean, I was baffled. And I just stood there and smiled, shook my head. And I said, Charlie, just a minute. I want to introduce my son to you. And Jaden was there. I said, Jaden, you got to come meet this guy. <laughs> I said, now, you're probably not going to understand anything he says, but you got to get this. Man. This, is, this is a life experience. And we both stood there going, oh, mouths hanging out. Charlie was telling us something that was really, really important. And we should have got it, but we didn't. (laughs) But we sure had an experience. (laughs) It was fun. Hey, y'all, watch this. Oh, my. We do get a field of things, don't we? In that passage, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2, imitate me just as I also, excuse me, just as I also imitate Christ, Paul says, now I praise you, brothers, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. And then he begins to teach. Keep the traditions. Hang on to them. Transmit them faithfully, dutifully. Each one teach one. The command is to parents, tell your kids. Write it on the doorpost. Put it on your hands, on your forehead. Put it everywhere. When you rise up, talk about it. When you sit down, talk about it. When you come in and when you go out, teach the kids what they're supposed to know. Don't be, you know, don't harangue them. Paul also exhorted, we said, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. And don't exasperate your kids. And he said that. 
You're supposed to lead, model, teach, impress. It's like pressing a cookie cutter into the dough so that the dough takes the shape you want it to. Right? Raise up a child in the way they should go when they're old and won't depart from it. It's that It's that motherly... I'm looking at Nicole holding a little grace there. And this will be kind of... Maybe you moms know this. If you don't, you can just go... Wish you hadn't said that. You know, before we had Gerbers and all that, mom would just take what she ate, put it in her mouth, chew it up till it was so mushy, and then she'd pull it out and give it to the baby. This is, this is called touch the palate. You actually teach the baby to love what you love, but you have to chew it for him first. And there's a lesson in there somewhere. Huh? Uh-huh. Parents, touch the palate of your children with the words of life. You chew them up first. You get them used so well in your life that they're just mushy with use. And then press your child into that. Press it into your child so it takes the shape that God wants them to have. Raise them according to their particular bent. When the Bible says raise up a child in the way they should go, it's not the way you want them to go. It's the way they should go. God's built them. They've got a bent. You know they've got a bent. Amen. You want to go down to our discovery class and find out which bent they have. Are they the lion or the otter, the golden retriever, the beaver? You don't have to guess if they're a lion. They'll tell you. They're in charge. I wonder if my child's a lion as they're saying, turn here, go there. We're eating like this. Perilous times are coming. Do you think they're here? You know, I said I would come back to this. Uh, this general election, I feel like we're living in perilous times. I mean, we still have a democracy or a, or a, what's the other word? Uh, uh, a republic. You know, we live in a republic that is moved by democracy and, and we're handed this. I mean, how many of you actually read this thing? Uh-huh. I know you're busy reading the Bible. I know. Yeah, but nobody wants to memorize, you know, the controller's address here. But we can no longer be ignorant and live in this society. And we are challenged to know. The Bible says, know those that labor among you. And I think, let's equate that to this market. How am I ever going to know? And and yet we're required. Romans 13 says we should support good government. The government I'm in allows me to vote for that. And so I feel like that's a moral responsibility to get up to the plate and vote and make a difference. And we we need to make some differences this time around. And while this isn't entirely a political message, it's like let's we need to contend for the faith that was delivered to us once and for all for the saints. And we have a nation that if if it remains free, we'll still be able to send missionaries everywhere still be able to preach the gospel freely all over the place. And we can participate together with that. But if we let this go, it won't be long and we'll be needing those cell groups more than we know. Mm -hmm. We'll be needing a little more underground church going on, a little more freedom stripped away, a little more ability to not say in public what we should say. You know, people have already been arrested in Canada uh, for reading the scriptures. What? Yeah. Because they have laws in Canada against certain things. And if you read the scriptures as they as they are written, it, it is opposed to 
uh, certain lifestyles, and because of that, you're then put into hate crime. So you can be incarcerated. And so we have pastors going to jail in Canada for reading the Bible. You say, oh, well, that'll never come here. It's not that far to Canada. Come on. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and, 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 you know, perilous times. We're living in them. But the Bible doesn't say become political to fix it. The Bible says, hang on to the traditions. Know who's teaching you the truth. Verify it yourself by reading and studying the scriptures. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, knowing that the scriptures say about themselves that they are inspired, God breathed. They are inspired by God. And they're profitable for teaching and doctrine, correction and rebuke, and training in righteousness that the man and woman of God might be fully furnished to do good works. This is the book. Paul commended the Romans. He said, I, I, I commend you because you've obeyed the commands I left with you. You held them in regard just like the word. And I, I wrote myself a note. I, I need to see if I can find this um, one verse. I mean, First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. I already read that, didn't I? Three. Yeah. Not going to be that one. Well, three fourteen says, and if anyone does not obey our word in this letter, note that person and don't keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Don't count him as an enemy; just admonish him as a brother. Paul's saying, and and as we know now, this letter is included in the Bible, right? It's called the Canon of Scripture. So he's saying this letter at the time I write it, Paul, the author, said, take it like the Word of God. And it becomes our word. It becomes our New Testament. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Can you say that about your life? Could you say that to your neighbor? Hey, the things you've learned, received, meaning I gave you something, I orally transmitted a tradition of Scripture, and you heard those things, you received them, learned, and you saw in me. If you'll do that, you'll do those things, the God of peace will be with you. Wow, there's our challenge today. Keeping the word to the point that our lives are the living letters of God and somebody else could just follow us until they themselves have a parallel relationship with Christ and then they, they just walk together with us as brothers and sisters. Uh, anybody okay today with this? Yeah. Are we all right? Yeah. Can you make me feel good? Yeah. Thank you. Thank okay. You. <laughs> Gee, Pastor Jeff, you're not half bad. <laughs> you're not half good, but you're not half bad. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Please feel like I'm tooting my own horn a little bit here today. Uh, maybe I'm just trying to shore up my own ability, strength or belief or something. But let me finish with Ecclesiastes 12. This has always been a great favorite passage for me to refer to on this kind of a topic. It's one of those Bible college verses that you learn. Uh, 
when all you're doing is studying. And verse 12, in, is, that's why it's easy to remember. Ecclesiastes 12, 12. It's just one of those easy addresses. I'm going to read the whole context, but it says, Further, my son, be admonished by these of making, of making many books. There's no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. We used to quote that to each other when we were in Bible college. I said, man, I'll tell you what, this studying is just weariness to the flesh. We didn't like it in our bodies. Here's what the summary of Ecclesiastes, starting in verse 9, says, Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Further, my son, be admonished by these of making many books or recordings or CDs or radio or TV or video. We can expand. Of the making of these, there is no end. Much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. The reason I close here is verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. They goad is something you use to prod an animal to move on. So the words of the wise prod us to move forward. They challenge us to grow up. They challenge us to become not just learners all the time, but at one point become teachers. As Bob Thiessen exhorted us last night in the prayer meeting, we all should become teachers of somebody. The words of the wise are like goads and the words of scholars, masters of assemblies. It's another translation. Are like well-driven nails. The master builders Figure out where to put the nail and then drive it in to hold things together, right? Teachings from the Lord are like that for our lives. They, the master builder puts us into a place where we can hold up in trouble. But this phrase has always caught my attention, given by one shepherd. Everybody needs a shepherd. I need a shepherd. You need a shepherd. We have the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus, who has given to the body of Christ under shepherds, and everybody evidently needs one. Until the day you graduate from being a sheep to being a shepherd, you need one, right? Thank God for the cell leaders and lighthouse keepers who are doing that shepherding work as well. They're, they're trying to move from just following to leading. And God, let's pray for them. Bless them in the name of Jesus because they're helping us to go further. But you can know them. You can pal around with them. You can eat with them. You can touch them. And you can call them to your bedside when you're in trouble. And you can count on them when you're in need. And they pray for you all the time, even when you don't know they're praying for you. You've got somebody on your team and somebody in your corner that's with you and for you. i got to be done. Is that all right? <laughs> Father, I need you. We need you. Jesus, you are the shepherd, the good shepherd. You laid down your life for us. You are the example. You are the truth. You are the life and you are the way. I pray that you would take our conversations this morning and make 
bottom line sense out of it for our spirit man. Help us to be students of the word. Help us to take like the Bereans, everything that's transmitted orally or by letter in a cell group, in a prayer meeting, in a fellowship time, and put it through the grid and screen of your word. Help us to know your word. Make us students of your word again so that in these perilous times, whatever comes across the media or down the pike, so to speak, Father, we'll be able to screen through your word and through truth. We'll be protected from the worship of demons or from culturally designed uh, kind of good traditions and to find ourselves fully in the God traditions that you have given to us once for all. Thank you that we can be called saints this morning, those who are set apart for you by the blood and the work of Jesus at the cross. May we be faithful to the end. Strengthen us, Father, so that should persecution come, we would be among those who would embrace it as sharing in the sufferings of Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.